the New York media has gotten soft, including you, Paul. <laughs> I don't need any kind of crap from you. Take a lap defense. Take a lap special teams. Who cares? No. Like, it doesn't matter. It sure does. It doesn't. Paul, do you know what drip is? Do we have to explain? No, I'm going to let you wear the clown makeup. Removing goalposts. How stupid is that? No drunkenness. He answered the question fine. We move on. Shoot your shot. Yeah. Shoot him, shoot. The no. kicker. You hear how he says the kicker. Like he's a subset from the team. Paul, do I send you journalism lessons on Twitter? We got a lot of angry I, people on this podcast. Yeah. Second and goal. Let it. Robbing it for Eli Penny. And the fullback comes down with it for the touchdown. Herbert stops. Launches deep. Jalen Guyton. He's got it. Touchdown, Chargers. What a throw. You got to make those plays in those situations. And ultimately, you know, we didn't do it. You come up short right there, you got to go ahead and fix it. Um, obviously, we would like to have a winning record and be in a better position. But like you said, with four games left, we got to stick together and finish season strong. I just think we put ourselves in a bad spot early in the game. And that's not okay. That's not okay in our situation of the season. It's not okay for the fans, for the franchise. It's not okay how we came out and performed today. Ooh, welcome back to Blue Rush, our Giants podcast from the New York Post. Joining us later in the show will be. Former Giants cornerback, that would be Terrell Thomas, Super Bowl 46 champion. Let's welcome in your host of Blue Rush. That would be two-time Super Bowl champion kicker, Lawrence Tynes. And Giants beat writer for the post, Paul Schwartz. Lawrence, we'll kick it off with you. And that montage you heard courtesy of Fox, of course, of an ugly 37-21 Giants loss. They fall to 4-9, a losing record for their fifth straight year. I know you tweeted out, uh, you know, kind of a declaration of the Giants fan base right now. The floor is yours. Let it rip, Lawrence. Yeah, I just said what I said. I felt what I felt and I tweeted it. And I'm not the only one. I, you know, I tweet with teammates throughout the games. You know, every week we keep thinking rock bottom, rock bottom, rock bottom. And it keeps getting, we keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And, you know, the the more questions arise with each loss. And I, I just don't know how, after a supposed great week of preparation and a great week away team bonding and team building, that you can go in there and lay an egg like that. I thought they got away from the run way too early. It was working. And then obviously they give up points before the half and it turns into an onslaught. I mean, I look at this game as 37 to 7. I don't count those 14 points they scored late. Um, Those are garbage yards. 162 yards were in the fourth quarter of their 315 total. So just another absolute debacle, embarrassment by this New York Giants football team. Well, um, okay, we'll sign off. That's it. I don't think there's anything else to say. I mean, it's it's. look, I was out there all week, right? I was in Miami. I was in Tucson. The bonding part, the team stuff, I thought was good. I don't have any question. It was a good week there. But they brought the same, well, they brought the same bad team to Los Angeles. That's the problem. They are a bonded team. They are a together team. They do things cohesively. They're just not a good football team. And and so people can look at this Tucson thing and say, oh, this is BS. Look, it wasn't BS because they went out there and they did things football-wise. But I, in no way, you know, I didn't wasn't out there in Tucson all week and then said, you know what, I got to change my pick. I, I feel something really good about the Giants. You know, Mike Lennon is starting. When he starts NFL games, they lose. And Lawrence, I want to tell you about practice, okay? They practiced that Herbert play, okay, where he rolls one way and throws back, you know, and they kept on going back. I saw that uh, Joe Judge let us spend more time on the practice field than usual this week. I saw them practice the exact fake punt that they ran, the exact 
thing. You could see it in practice. We usually are not out there to see that. Riley hit crossing. He hit him two or three times. They get in the game. He throws it over his head. So, I mean, you practice things, you're prepared for them, and then the players can't execute it. You know, is that coaching? Is that players? It's on the players to some extent. I mean, if you look at the the stat sheet today, none of their players really did anything. You know, Galladay, what do you have? Two catches for 15 yards. Two catches on eight targets. I mean, that's the problem with he uh, he is not open. He's not. And of all the blasphemous things that happen, Kyle Rudolph gets the longest reception of his career. (laughs) 60 yards. He looked like a damn semi-truck running down the field. Um, Good for him. Our guest, our friend, Eli Penny, scored a touchdown in front of his friends and family. I'm sure that was fun. And, you know, they were in the game, and then they really got away from this run game. And I don't – I cannot for the life of me – I'm not saying they wouldn't have lost this game regardless, but getting away from the run so early – was so perplexing. You know, they they get that early drive, they get a first down, maybe two, and then on third and two at the 50-yard line, we throw like a deep end to Galladay or Slayton or somebody. Third and two. You're on this side of the 50, almost the 50-yard line. Why don't we run it? I mean, we're running it at ease. It was just, you know, Cunningham's in and out, Pert's in and out. Here's another thing, too, I'll mention on special teams. The kickoff out of bounds, and I'm not defending Graham Gano here, but they tr- they're trying to get so cute with these kickoffs, these little poochies, these little and, – and I'm going to tell you, it's silly, and I'm going to tell you something. That deep kick left is the hardest thing you'll do as a kicker, a right-footed kicker. Going to your right, you have a little bit more control, but just just kick touchbacks. You know, after we score the touchdown, you take two steps forward, you take five steps back. We kick the ball out of bounds. We're giving Herbert the ball at the 40. The micromanagement of this staff – Graham Gano can kick touchbacks. Let's just kick touchbacks, give him the ball to 25. It's They're just trying to meddle and, and tweak and just let him kick the goddamn football out of the end zone. It just makes no sense that we're trying to hit these little poochers. Yeah, the special teams coordinator, Thomas McGahee, who you know, he was talking about Graham Gano and he was saying, now Graham does not practice kickoffs. You know, he practiced field goals. They do not practice kickoffs. During, you know, you know, you got to save his leg and things like that. And someone asked Thomas McGahee why. And he said, he's so, first of all, we want to save wear and tear. And he said, he is so good at it. He's a magician. He thinks he's great. He's this, And he is really good. So because he can do it, they ask him to do it. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think it's it's getting greedy. You know, he can do it and it's great, but- Sometimes just right. I mean, you know, make them go 75 yards. That's okay too, right? But but you know what, Paul? I think this is this is, this is everything. I almost think he meddles too much in every phase of this team. It almost are the guys playing too tight, like where they don't want to make errors, or it just seems like he micromanages every phase of this team to some degree. And I can't prove that. It just looks like everyone's trying to be perfect. No one can get open. How come we can't get the ball to an offensive player in space? I mean, outside of the, the Rudolph play, that's a one-in-a-million shot for us. But it, they just never – nothing looks easy. Nothing – they don't even have simple plays. I mean, Myrick, God bless him, he's an undrafted journeyman that drops a ball early. And, you know, that that was big too, even though, it, you know, at the end of the day it's one play. But, like, it, it just keeps drives going. And they just, for whatever reason, they can't keep drives going. And it's a mess. This thing is a mess. And – Everything's on the table. I know there's a lot of tweets and a lot of quotes and things out there from all these experts that say Joe Judge is safe. I don't think he is. I don't think he is. There's no way. This team has not improved. This team has not improved. They've gotten worse. Have I ever wrote that Joe Judge is safe? No, no, no. You have it. 
No, no, no. But I'm, I'm, no, I'm just no, saying no. So, that, so that not that all experts. Just nobody can know that because the owners have not told anybody between you and I. Joe Judge is coming back next year. You know these. Well, owners. wasn't there they, something maybe after the Carolina game or something? I remember. The, the, I felt like the media got access to John Mara for well, a few no, moments. No, yeah. I mean, our guy, you know, Connor said uh, we believe in Joe. That was a hundred years ago. They've lost a million games since then. So no, no, no owner has ever said Joe is coming back next year. You I know, just, it, I can't it, see it, Paul. I, I mean, I know we're angry about a loss, but it's just been, it's so bad. It's, it's actually worse almost in some regards. It's very bad, but, but let, let's see. Look, the season's not over. You know what I mean? They're not going to the playoffs. They're not going to have a good record. There's no reason. They're not firing him now. You know, you know, we, we can wait on that. I, I think the thing to do is, is to, is to analyze the team because, you know, the team is the team, whether they get rid of the coach or not. Now, now that sequence, you know, you talked about it briefly at the end of the first half. Look, we know now. They came into this game 52 to nothing, outscored. They gave up, I think today was the seventh touchdown they gave up in the last two minutes. It's 59 to nothing. But the way the way this broke, it's 17-7. You know, uh, they forced the Chargers to kick a field goal. They're getting dominated in the first half. And then the Giants get the ball back on their own 25. And you okay, all right, let's see if they can, you know, get some points here. And, you know, it's just a disaster. And then, so they, they get the ball back, what? After they've actually forced them to punt, they get the ball back on their own uh, on the Chargers' forty-one yard line. Right? Okay, there's one forty to go. They have some time. They had a defensive stop. Let's see what they can do. Uh, Mike Glennon throws incomplete to Saquon. It's not really a, a, a good play. On second down, he throws to Saquon. It's a loss of two yards. Okay, that's not good. So now all of a sudden we're in backwards mode. And then he threw one behind Devontae Booker. You know what I mean? They threw it behind Devontae Booker. They have to punt. They used, I think, 40 seconds. Then a great player makes a great pass. They knew they knew they would take a deep shot. They knew that it's going to be this roll to the right, throw back. Uh, Logan Ryan took, you know, it, the defense was split right down the middle. The two safeties were split. Logan Ryan said, I, I didn't track the ball as well as I wanted. He took blame for that. It was a great throw. It was a great catch. And it's 24-7 at halftime. And and I asked Joe specifically, I said, you know, what does it say about a team that can't get out of its way at the end of the first half? And, you know, he didn't really say much about that, you know, situational football. and On a play, as you mentioned, that they repped all week. They repped it all week. Don't let these guys get behind you because he this guy's got a big arm. I heard Patrick Graham say it in his press conference. I mean, Let's, what about these two flea flickers that they ran in that one series? The I had time to go reheat my Jersey Mike sub sandwich while they were running the play, and they're throwing it to freaking running backs. We're running flea flickers to running backs. Those flea flickers are meant to go down the field. We can't even get that to work. And and the, on the broadcast, Slareth and Amin said, you know, these this is what bad football teams do to try and generate yards, they, including the fake punt. I mean, you look so desperate at that point. I mean, they, listen, they don't scare anyone. We know that. But it just it, it hit a new height of bad today because there was that sequence of those very, very poorly executed flea flickers. And then you throw in the fake punt, and it's a horrible throw by Riley Dixon. You know, I know you, you know, we would talk the last podcast, you know, just play Jake Fromm, just play Jake Fromm. Joe Judge said they did think about it. You know, he said, you know, everything was on the table. But he said, look, we watch practice and we watch how people prepare Look, Jake Fromm was not ready to play in the NFL game. That's the determination of this coaching staff. My question is not Jake Fromm, okay? He's a bit player in all this. It's why 
the, the Giants have such a bad backup quarterback. You know what I mean? I mean, look, Daniel's strong. Daniel is going to play. Daniel's going to start. But what do they say? What The most important player is the quarterback. The second most important player is the backup quarterback if the guy gets hurt. You know, Mike Lennon is not good. You know, I mean, Colt McCoy was not a really good backup quarterback. He's better than Mike Lennon. And it doesn't sound like a terrible team when you listen to Joe Judge after the game. Andrew, let's cue up what Joe Judge said. Uh, I believe it's Jordan Renan's question about the team being 4-9. So let's play the question and his reply. Listen up. You're, you're 4-9. This is going to be a losing season. Uh, how concerned are you about how this reflects on you and where the program is going overall. Well, I'm the head coach. Everything in the program reflects on me, Jordan. I don't ever shy away from that. I don't make excuses. And I don't hide from that either. I'm not a finger pointer. I'm an excuse maker. I'm never going to try and deflect anything. Okay. In terms of the direction the program's going, look, there's a lot of things I see week after week with our players and where we're going that I'm encouraged in a lot of ways. And sometimes that's tough to see externally. But there's some key foundational pieces that are being put in place. And there's a lot of things we're making progress on pushing forward. You know, my scope's always big picture. Told the team a second ago. I look every week, week to week. I'm very conscious of what's going on around the league and where we are within standings. But ultimately, my vision goes beyond that. Okay, I'm looking long-term for a lot of things. I talked about the first time I ever got in front of a microphone in front of you guys. I talked about putting the foundation together and pushing it and building it the right way. I've never talked about taking a shortcut or wanting immediate gratification. Now, we got to put a product on the field that everyone's proud of. I've said that a million times as well. I'm going to shy from that. we got to put guys out there. we got to put them in the right position. we got to execute plays. we got to keep on finishing games. we got to have to have uh, success. I'm not going to shy away from that either. It's production business. But in terms of the big scope of where we're going, you know, internally you can see a lot of pieces being put together and a lot of things within the direction, the culture, and the foundation of the program that I've been fortunate enough to know what it's supposed to look like, and I can see the direction it's going, and I can see the foundation being poured and solidified, and we're going to get in the right direction. Lawrence, what does any of that mean? What does that mumble-jumble mean? It's absolute crap. All of it's crap. The only thing he said that makes any kind of sense is that he's got a culture in place. We know these guys like each other. That's great. But the I'm encouraged piece, by what? And I just wish someone would have hit him with a by what? Like, what are you encouraged by? And don't say it's internal and external. The external factor is what matters. It's what people pay for. It's what people see. And it's what people want to see. They want to see improvement. In 29 games, as the head coach of this football team, there has not been any improvement in any phase of this football team. And I can say that without a shadow of a doubt. There has not been one phase of this football team that's better than before he got here. And that's his job. And he said, this is my job. I own it. I own it. Okay, you do own it. And you also own four and nine. And then you own six and 10. I mean, you own all of that. That is not improvement. It's not good enough. Listen, everything's on the table. I know we say this every week, but four games left. I just don't know how much more improvement you're going to see where you say, okay, yeah, let's keep this guy. Well, it, it's, um, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like a coach on a 10-year contract. You know what I mean? John Gruden got a 10-year contract. It does. You know, uh, Matt Rule got a seven-year contract, right? You know, he, he's in his second year like Joe Judge, right? Hey, Lawrence, if you had a guaranteed seven-year contract, okay, you go into a little bit of a rut. It's like in your second year, it's like, wow, that's disappointing. But you got, I got seven years guaranteed, right? You know, John Mara has said, we don't, we want to be more patient and things like that. So, you know, I, I, I know, you know, you sound really frustrated. I know you are. You're, you're, you're an ex-player and, and you're a fan. Um, you know, I'm, I take a little bit of a different tack to it, but yeah, you know, you have to be careful about just saying, you know, big picture, big picture, look ahead, look ahead, because, you know, don't be 29 so sure. games, Paul. 
29 yeah. games. That's a lot yeah, of football yeah, yeah. games. Look, look, when you said that and I said, well, look, I just, I'm going to pick out something that they're better at, you know, and I can't. They're not better offensively. Andrew Thomas, and I think that's through his own grit and determination because we had him on the show. And you can just tell what kind of character kid that guy is. He did this, not saying he didn't do it with help of coaching, but he's the only shining light on this football team. And Xavier McKinney, you know, if you really think about young players that you're going to build upon, it's those two guys. And I love this young secondary. I really do. The Robinson kid. I mean, they, they've got some nice guys. But in terms of the the, the overall development of this team, it, it's not better. And in 29 games, it's just not good enough. It's no, not. it's not. Now, now there's, there's some, you know, there's some um, – um, I know some people got a little a little bent out of shape. Uh, it's interesting. First of all, have, did you ever play in a game on a Sunday and stay? You know, there's, the Giants are staying Sunday in L.A. They're creating a short week for themselves. You know, you know have their – you know, they, they find – you know, their, their analytics, their health analytics say that that's better for them to get a night's sleep and then go back tomorrow – you know, go back on Monday. Health, okay, health that, analytics. That's the health analytics. Paul, what is health analytics? I know they have it, though. That's what's out there now. Health but that, they're not the only team that does this. You know, yeah, they're not the only teams that does this. So they're staying out there. But, Get but, your ass back on the plane and fly back home. Get home. But but Daniel Jones went back Sunday night with Ronnie Barnes. They're going to see Dr. Frank Camisa at the hospital for special surgery on Monday. He'll get a scan. But just because you walk in there Very and good. get an MRI doesn't mean you are having surgery. He's not having surgery. This guy's a neck and spine expert. So they'll speak to him again. Look. It's all about the scan here with this guy. It has nothing to do with how he feels. He feels fine about pain. There's nothing there. They have to study the scan by these, these experts. And if they look at it and they say, there's something in there. Look, I would if I had what Daniel Jones had or any of us had there, we'd be fine. We'd be fine because I don't have people running into me, you know, with 250 pounds. He's got to be cleared for contact. He won't be yet. So plenty. you know what I would have liked? To, I, Joe Judge should have started his press conference off by saying, the Chargers are everything we want to be, and we're not. That's what he has should have started off. Young quarterback, young weapon. You know, you got a good football team. And, and you know, the, the the status quo quotes are only going to last so long here after 29 games. I mean, you guys feel it. You see it. This These people are sick, man. They're sick of it. The fans are sick of it. We knew we weren't going to win that game, but don't lose it like that. 37-7. to 7. And four and nine, you're talking long term to me is just ludicrous. I mean, long term is a month, maybe January 10th when we have our season review show. We don't even know if he's the head coach. So you can't be talking about years in the making and making progress when your security is not. You safe. know, three or four of those teams are going to be in the playoff hunt, too. You know, they're still going to be scratching and clawing. You got Cowboys, you got Eagles, you got Washington, and Chicago is, you know, playing well tonight against Green Bay. I don't know what that looks like, but. You know, you just want to see a spirited effort. I mean, look at the, the Nagy situation is kind of hanging over their heads in Chicago. And these guys are out there fighting, they're out there playing hard. And it just it just looks different. We don't even look competitive. And that's scary. Let's close it out on a positive. Paul, do you want to talk about your experience at the stadium? You said the stadium is beautiful. The weather is beautiful. So tell us about the stadium, which the Super Bowl will be held at this year. Yes, hopefully I'll be back for the Super Bowl. Well, we've seen pictures of it. You know, you've heard about it. Um, I heard it's much more rocking when the Rams are playing here than when the Chargers are playing here. But it's um, 
you know, it looks like a spaceship. It's the whole thing is glass on top. It's open on the sides. It is, you know, I was, we were talking to some people, we were walking around it, you know, and looking around and you said, do you like it better than AT&T stadium where the Cowboys play? The Cowboys is more gaudy. You know, it's typical Cowboys. It's fancier. This I think is classier. This is classic LA. Now, Jake, this is something which I know, I assume you have never experienced, okay? They had a lot of really good food there, right? For the press, a lot of really good stuff. Um, This tater tot casserole, which is great. They had this tofu breakfast sandwich thing. They had this thing that looked awesome. It looked like chocolate pudding with, you know, a little bit of fruit on top. Chocolate pudding, right? It's the best. So I got close to it and it says chia chocolate pudding. Chia, right? Those chia seeds, whatever. So I said, okay. It was kind of gooey and slimy, and I'm like eating it, and I'm like, this is not good. And then I said, it's so slimy that it's going to fall off my fork and go on my shirt. So I had to get rid of the chia chocolate pudding. It was just bizarre, but it's it's L.A., so what the hell? You know what I mean? It's it's um, So the L.A. stadium is bougie. It's a little bougie. It's a little bougie, yeah. Yeah, but it's L.A. It's Inglewood, actually. It's pretty cool. As you drive in, you pass the old, the fabulous forum. You said the charges are everything the Giants aren't, right? SoFi Stadium is everything that MetLife Stadium is not. I mean, that's another thing. My son texted me. I sent him pictures of the stadium. He says, why doesn't New York have a stadium like that? You know, right? I mean, the Jets and Giants are in complete disrepair and their stadium stinks, right? It's the worst. It's the worst new stadium ever. This is a brand new stadium. It looks like it looks like a dump. Yeah, I mean, SoFi, SoFi is a spaceship, and MetLife is a AC unit. It's a basically what do they call it? like? It a looks like a, a yeah, it looks like the outdoor or a stack of CDs or something. Yeah. Notice how Paul mentions exotic foods, and he goes, "Let's go to our resident fat boy Jake for uh, the analysis." Um, I, I do. I have been eating. I did not lot, hear him so. use those terms. I did not uh, well, use I will those use them terms. For him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a resident eater of unhealthy food. Well, the you know, Giants fans might need to be sent on a spaceship if they have to watch another mi- month of Mike Lennon. But to digress from that, we'll talk with former Giants quarterback Terrell Thomas next year on Blue Rush. Hey, this is Terrell Thomas, former cornerback for the New York Giants, and you're listening to Blue Rush. Joining us now, Blue Rush is a Giants Super Bowl champion cornerback. He was a member of the Giants for six seasons from 2008 through 2013 after they took him in the second round. Out of USC, he finished his career with 12 interceptions, seven forced fumbles, 298 tackles, and a touchdown. Let's give a warm welcome to the pride of Pasadena, California, number 24, Terrell Thomas. Terrell, Jake Brown, Lawrence Times, Paul Schwartz, welcome to the show. How are you? You're out in California where the Giants uh, were part of a bloodbath today, but how, how have you been? I'm doing good. I appreciate you guys having me, and um, it was tough, man. I was uh, hoping to get to the game, but I had to get on my father's duties today. Yeah, I'm glad to be on the show. Hey, thanks for coming on. You didn't miss anything, so don't worry about it. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. I saw you at the reunion, but what are you, what are you doing out in California? Real quick, LT, uh, shout out to Bryce Young, man, from Pasadena, since we shot it up. Oh, that's a, yes. Um, but, you know, shout out to Bryce Young for representing. Big time. Yeah, man, that was awesome for that young man. And uh, CJ Stout from uh, Retro Kamunga as well. Oh, shout out to him as well. But uh, all is well out here in Cali, my man. Just uh, enjoying the kids. Uh, I'm actually in school right now. I'm getting my uh, MBA. Dipping and diving in some real estate and investing here and there. Just trying to uh, figure it out. Very nice. Uh, following the footsteps of uh, one of your former teammates, Justin Tuck, right? He got his MBA and he's uh, he's doing good things. You know what? One thing, when you came to the Giants, Terrell, you know, I remember, you know, you were very polished. You had that 
L.A., that USC. You were always you were a rookie, but you never seemed like a rookie. Did you feel like a rookie when you got there? You were always were like you seemed to kind of understand what was going on more than most rookies. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about that. Um, Coach Carroll, man, and the system he ran, and the great coaches that I had around me. You know, from uh, Todd McNair to Rocky Seto, um, just you know, Coach O. Tim Davis, I mean, I can go down the list. Uh, Nicole, we just had some great coaches, great personalities, and um, re- really just taught us how to be professionals. And um, obviously we had some uh, great uh, USC alums that kind of took underneath their wing as well. So, and, and you know what? I came into a great locker room. You know, shout out to LT and uh, Big Webb and Tuck and everybody else, man. It was uh, It was easy for me. He did, and I'll piggyback off that. Terrell was one of the most polished rookies, Paul, that I've ever seen come through a locker room. He was just mature. He knew what to do. Obviously, USC probably had a lot to do with that, playing under Pete Carroll and a lot of – and he played with NFL guys every week. It's kind of like the old Alabama, right? The new Alabama. USC used to be that school. While we're talking about that, what about this Lincoln-Riley hire? I mean – you guys stole him up under under the nose of the Sooner Nation. I mean, that was he hit the midnight train for 110 million. Smart man. <laughs> yes, yes. Smart man. I can't blame him. I mean, you, you can't be mad at him. Uh, it was a perfect situation, obviously for us. I, I didn't think it would happen. I didn't think we would write that big check, but I'm happy. Um, Bone came through and uh, followed up. You know what he said he was going to do and bring in some real change to our athletic department. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the to the future, man. Terrell, you were at the reunion with Lawrence. How difficult is this to watch? I mean, you're not, you know, Lawrence has paid for his opinions on this show, so it's a little different. But you as a guy who's just watching from the West Coast and and checking in on the score and, you know, not locked in every game, how frustrating is this to watch this past decade of of the losing since you guys won? Um, It's tough, and it's not because of the X and O's. It's like the – entire culture in a way it's like we lost our identity our way um at least from what i know it and sometimes it's bigger than football and it just seems like you know the whole thing is just not in sync and they've, they've tried you know different strategies but i think you know sometimes you gotta just start fresh so I'm, I'm confused i don't know you know what our team represents you know i don't know if we're you know we're strong on defense or do we have like a this great outstanding special team smart you know team or whatever Seems like it's the same turnover, so it's a little frustrating. But I hope we can figure it out soon. Is um, you know, you look at that. I mean, do, do you do you have a sense of this team? I mean, do you think you know? Do you do you have an opinion on Daniel Jones? Do you have an opinion on, um, you know, they have a really good, you know, I think they have a pretty good defensive backfield. Xavier McKinney, guys like that. Um, Logan Ryan, um, James Bradbury. I mean, do you have opinions on some of these guys that you would share? Just you know, I know, like I said, you don't act break down every game, but do you have a sense that. You know, there's, there's anything of value on this team? I, I think there's some value, but I just think, you know, the execution is not collectively together and you can throw in all the injuries and let that be your excuse. But at the end of the day, you got to have some backups that can step in. And one thing, while we were good at USC and with the Giants, you know, we were, we were too deep. If not, sometimes uh, three, a lot of guys, you know, kind of mixed in everywhere in regards to special teams and, uh, you know, third down situations, you know, six DNs playing, you know, kickoff, whatever. It just doesn't seem like we have that depth. So ultimately it's hard to get a, you know, a true gauge on how good everyone is because collectively they, they're not all on the field t- together. Yeah. That's secondary. There's some pieces with McKinney and Logan and Bradbury, but I mean, outside of that, I mean, you talk about being too deep, like we were, I mean, we started a game with Craig Dahl and another young guy. I can't even think of his name. Both undrafted guys that came to the Giants, and 
the coaching and the culture and the players around them got those kids ready to play in a game that we had to have down the stretch in our first Super Bowl run. But when Terrell was there, I mean, like he said, we were too deep everywhere. And that's coaching and that's development. And I just this, – these coaches don't know how to develop players anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you can look at the draft and maybe missing on some free agents or whatever. But, you know, you need those guys to get better and better every year. And we don't seem to have that. You know, even our stars we can't count on. Do you think the Giants need a clean house, Terrell? Do you think Do you think they got to, you know, get rid of Judge and Gettleman and move on here? It's, it's tough. I, I think something has to happen, you know. They gotta go make a big move, and because we're we're losing our way just as a as a culture, not just about like X's and O's, and you know guys being injured and missing out on drafts. I, I think the identity of the the Giants is kind of kind of shifting to I don't want to say like them them boys down 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 the way, and uh, I know we're way better than them, so yeah, we we gotta figure it out because it's ugly. You know, when you um, you know, the Giants built their secondary. You know, they had to sign James Bradbury as a free agent. They had to sign Logan Ryan as a free agent. They had to sign the Dory Jackson as a free agent. When you got there, Corey Webster was there already, right? Established second round pick. Um, Aaron Ross was there, right? You know, young guy, first round pick. You come in second round pick. I mean, that's kind of the way you want to build, right? You know, you have these young guys who are all draft picks, and and you come up together versus plucking guys from other teams. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't always work that way. I mean, when you got to the Giants, there were guys there who were draft picks who could show you the way, right? Yeah. I mean, it just depends on the team and the timing um, and the needs. You know, um, sometimes you may miss within the draft or through free agency. So you got to go, you know, get some free agents to, to pluck in. You don't have time to develop, you know, a, a guy within a year or two. Um, you don't, maybe you don't have the veteran in that locker room to bring in a young guy. And, um, you know, it can be contract situation as well, not managing your, your roster properly. But um, ultimately, uh, at the end of the day, I think that's probably the bigger issue. And it's not just on Joe Judge and um, the GM, excuse me, I'm losing blank for my man's name, um, Gettleman. But I, I think it, it goes, you know, years down the line, you know. <laughs> it's been a while since the Giants have been really relevant. And I think it's a lack of development in a sense. T2, would you say you learn more from, from the existing players or the coaching, st- like your DB coach? Like, like how does that work in terms of being a DB? Like, is it Peter Junta? Is it Dave Merritt? Is it, or is it the guys around you? Do they give you more information on how to become a better player, or is it a combination of both? I think it's a combination. It, it depends on the personalities, the egos, and uh, the need of the player, you know, certain players athletically got it, but maybe they need, you know, more coaching on X's and O's in the classroom and other players maybe need more work with technique. Um, with our locker room, I think, or our room, we had a, we had a good mixture. You know I mean? I think Peter, Pete, coach Pete was more old school and really just broke down the game and made it very digestible for us. We always ask Lawrence's teammates from that team about Coughlin and Coughlin time. Are you early for, you know, your daughter's, gymnast lessons classes are you early for everything in life has, has Coughlin changed your life forever I was always an early guy I hated being late he definitely put a, a new wrinkle in that <laughs> and um I, I will say that for a while after I retired my clocks were set five five ahead but I, I got away from that it was just more like it was like a Jedi mind trick or something hey, Terrell I, I I have to say remember those t2 t-shirts that you made um, the white T-shirts yes, with the blue and the red. I think I still have one of those, and my son still has one of those. Yeah, got a I got freebies, of course. Still got them. Still looking good. So wh- whoever made them, 
the the quality was good. They held up to a lot of wash. You know, good shirts. Um, no t-shirts was uh, my idea. It was just more of a thank you uh, for the support I had during uh, that year of the Super Bowl run and uh, my injury, and just wanted to show my appreciation. And, and you know, that comes from you know, I guess having a good heart, but it really stems from my mom. So she kind of helped that whole process. Um, got the shirts made and and whatnot. The only thing uh, that was you know really dumb on my part is that we got them made in LA. <laughs> So we had to pay to ship them, and it was like three times the cost of the shirt to ship them to New York, but whatever. I did it, and um, I, I hear that so many times, and that ultimately that was, that was my goal. So that was dope for you to share that. How are you feeling? You know, you went through so much physically. I mean, you know, you're not an old man now. You know, you know, do you are you physically able to run around and do things and exercise? Because, you know, your knees took a beating. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 can, I can exercise. Uh, Barely, but I, I definitely can't run or anything like that. It's, it's more management. And it was crazy. Uh, after um, I retired, I stopped working out and my body started to fall apart. Like I was getting spasms all the time. Knee was hurting. And then um, started seeing a chiropractor and, you know, getting massages, kind of getting back in that routine. And I just started lightly working out and being consistent with that and, you know, getting my core strong and my legs a little bit stronger actually aided that. So I'm definitely proactive in that component. Plus, I'm not trying to look like the dad just yet. Oh, don't let it sit in. <laughs> you know, yeah, your body hurts. You know what I mean? Every now and then, you know, your finger would do something crazy or shoulder and your kids are looking at you like, what's wrong? But you know, it's just a, it's, it's what we signed up for. So, um, but yeah, no, I'm good. Paul, Paul, I saw him at the Super Bowl reunion. He looks good. He can still give you a couple snaps. And, and he, you know, what he's doing now? He's chasing that white ball around on the golf course. That's what I he's had doing. To shift my my energy from anything athletic to golf, which is extremely athletic. So, are you calling golfers non-athletes? Is that no, what you're no, saying? No, no, what I'm saying. Okay, hold on now. No. This this show is heard by millions. We cannot insult our listeners. First of all, I'm gonna have a golfer respect the sport <laughs> and the people who play it. It's a game that I had to start training for because I wasn't physically built for golf. Like it's an exhausting game mentally and physically. Physically, so uh, that's what I was kind of uh, hedging to. That's all I can do. I can't play basketball, can't run, and but I enjoy it. And uh, when I you know, when the wife lets me out, you know, I definitely take advantage of it. And he's got a shirt that says golf on. I'm curious. You're you're mentally tougher than anyone, I feel like. Three times a torn ACL, you come back from that. Take us through your mind mentally and how you came back, because I assume, Terrell, there were moments you said, I quit. I'm done. This is it. And then you you overcame that. So can, can you take us through the mindset going through that, especially twice in the NFL and coming back from that and being a good player? Jake, you know, it, it just stems from my mom, you know, having a, really just a strong black woman to support me and really just uh, not allow me to quit and just, you know, provide hope and perspective. And, you know, she just raised me to always be optimistic. And this the last one, that's when I didn't really think I would be able to play football again. You know, it was some some dark times uh, <clears throat> mentally and, and physically. You know what I mean? It's, it's a tough task to come back from an ACL injury, especially with the circumstances. You know, God, grace and, and hard work and a, and a lot of critics, man. You mix all that shit together and uh, you prove a lot of people wrong. Terrell, was it the same one all three times? Yeah, man. Uh, the first oh. teammate blew me out. Second time, teammate as well and then third time it was just self-inflicted how long after the surgery was that third one was it a year did oh, you, was it was like the... like maybe 11 
11 and a half months. It was in training camp months. that next year, right? Wasn't it in training camp? Yeah, but I, I, I was in such great shape. You know, that move in which I tore it on, I did a thousand times in sand on artificial and grass. Like, I never trained so damn hard in my life that, that offseason. And I was more than prepared. But, you know, some type of spirit, God or whatever, had, had a different plan for me. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I'm on this journey. Hey, Sa- Saquon Barkley is coming back from an ACL. You, you, you know, you were, you know, I, I would imagine the two toughest positions to come back from it is running back and cornerback. You know, you you got to be on your game 100%. Saquon's coming back. He does not look like the same player. Then he turned his ankle. What would you say to someone like Saquon, who is just really finding it hard to get back into a groove after this ACL? Yeah, he just got to, you know, assess his, uh, his season and uh, get to work in regards to rehab and strengthening everything else around it. Ultimately, it's hard to come back from any injury if you don't have, you know, supporting cast, at least a consistent supporting class. And, you know, obviously he's, you know, a top 10 pick, but, you know, they, I think he shouldn't have to carry the whole offense. So it's just, it's so many moving parts within the whole, you know, team that it's hard to just, you know, blame one person for the lack of production or whatever. But in regards to his ACL, um, you know, obviously he, he looks good when he's healthy. You know, he's just probably just got to keep working. Terrell Thomas, follow him on Instagram at trthomas24. Follow him on Twitter as well at terrellthomas24. Terrell, we appreciate you uh, stopping by. Enjoy catching up with you, and maybe uh, we'll have more shirts in production here in, in the coming year. I like it. I like it. Let's do it. Appreciate you guys having me. Oh, that's a man's jam. All righty, Lawrence, you want to close out another miserable Giants loss recap today? I do, Jake. I've had seven pints since the ball game ended. That says cheerio to episode 92, the Michael Strahan edition, one of our great players of Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. He also went to space. Thanks to Jake Brown and Andrew Harts for producing the show. Lawrence, I kind of want to go to space after watching the Giants, <laughs> too. Uh, what kind of beer do you prefer after your Giants loss? What pints do you drink? I, I'd love a nice Guinness or 16, if you will. Um, yes, if we could send this football team up to the moon and keep them there. Give Blue Rush a wee five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Not as many names this week's folks. For Polly Schwartz, Jake Brown, Sarah McCorn, and Andrew Hartz, I lied. There's actually more. I'm the Scotsman Lawrence Tynes. We return on Thursday to preview the Giants matchup at MetLife with the Bloody Cowboys. Thanks for listening, you filthy animals. Pour me a drink, Lawrence.